Thanks for listening. Today, we are going to talk about space, distance, and how to work through these at the table through either a theater of the mind approach or a map grid minis approach. We end this also with a discussion that ties these together about Modiphius's use of zones to handle space and distance. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Well, so it's been a week since we, it's been about a week since we last recorded and I yep. am recovering from my COVID, which is good. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I've actually been writing role-playing stuff on, on the blog, which has been nice. And then to try and get people to read that publishing things on Reddit, which then gets into big conversations about, about the stuff. No one's actually reading the blog. People are just, at least I'm, you know. Maybe. I'm writing about I'm writing and talking about role playing stuff, so that's pretty cool. You never know. It's hard. The uh, the self promotion is what I always feel like it is. Like I'm trying to promote this thing that I think is, hey, I think this will be useful if you read it or or listen to it. And yet, for me, I struggle with the the where does that drift into self promotion? And I've yeah. never been a fan of self promotion. Period. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. For the like the. I think that's why my blog always struggled for ages, but I can actually see the benefit of just sort of sticking to it with like the blog, particularly for the Marvel stuff. Like I was looking back at when I started posting really regularly for the, the Marvel miniatures game on my blog, I was, I'd post something and I would get a couple of hundred people <coughs> over, a month, over the whole month, a couple of hundred people might read it. And now when I post pretty much the same stuff, now it's, it's like four or 500 people. So just over time, because I have posted other stuff, people will read my things. But um, yeah, it's still not happening in the role-playing world. But although it's partly, there's just not enough people that play 2 day 20. We're going to fix that. That that's our mission. Yeah. Um, but uh, Outside of the 2D20 world to get people to read us. That's right. You know, though, listen. I mean, I, I think my first... My first goal in doing this is, yeah, to reach people who are playing or could be enticed into playing the system. But what I've really found also is that I'm getting a lot out of this for myself and helping me focus on and think about um, my games and uh, and how I can can improve them. So, you know, that's a that's a benefit in and of itself. Forget about, you know plans for world domination or things like that you know again in the lucrative world of tabletop gaming um well as we keep saying if we wanted world domination for 2d20 we would have to have a, either a generic version or at least a system reference document no we'd have a 5e version of it uh, <laughs> luckily that's not a thing so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a we're gonna, we're gonna put out a book it's 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 2d20 for 5e like wait what it don't make no sense. It would sell more. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so today, we'll today, uh, as a as foreshadowing, I think this this uh, chit chat right here is foreshadowing of the type of thing we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about range and space and mapping and theater of the mind and those kinds of things from a general perspective, and then and then focus on how two die twenty handles those things. And uh, and discuss some of the opportunities and some of the challenges that the the system presents in dealing with range and space. And this actually part of the inspiration for this comes from a a, a question on on Facebook about this, about theater of the mind versus some kind of physical representation. That is, you know, using something on a table, even something as cheap as a, a piece of loose leaf paper with some really shabby lines drawn on it and X's and O's to represent, you know, goblins and PCs or something like that. But let's talk about that first. Let's I mean, what's your general experience? What what's your default when it comes to handling space and range 
Uh, you know, and when I say space, I'm talking about like positioning, absolute and relative positioning of objects and structures and characters and NPCs, and then distance between them. How, what, what's your default? What do you find yourself doing uh, in your games? What do you like? I think probably my default is theater of the mind, which is funny because I know I started with D&D, but all the way through like D&D Basic and then playing second edition, I don't remember ever, like we didn't, I didn't have models and I certainly never drew maps and stuff. I'd have maps for, you know, like the like continents, like exploring things, but you know, I love those things, but I don't ever remember using maps or grids. When people talk about like, oh, D&D's always been about grids. And I'm like, I don't remember here reading anything in basic that said grids. And I don't remember anything in like second edition that was about grids. So yeah, my, that would be my, it wasn't really until I got like fourth edition was probably the first one where like fourth edition is perfect. Like you, you can't play fourth edition theater of the month. You can try, but it's Regular. really, really hard because it is designed around, you know, they, they attack, you know, you hit all the people around you and you, you have a straight line for your attack and this kind of stuff. Um, so you really can't play that not on a grid. Um, but I think I find myself quite a lot of the time playing theater of the mind as much as possible, but there's times where it's useful to know where people are and things are in relation to each other. But mostly then it's a sketch, you know, mostly then it's not a, I have to have a grid. I mean, I have, I did eventually, I buy, bought myself a grid because, and I'll draw on it, but mostly it's a case of getting some paper and quickly scribbling like the start of an encounter. This is where we all are. And then theater of the mind in from there, because it's, it's usually much easier to kind of go, Right. It, like, you know, here, here's where you are. Here's where some columns are. Here's where this other feature is. This is where the bad guys are starting. And then after that, you, you kind of, you know, wing it. I don't need to move things beyond that. Um, and if I really need to, I'm out of times, I just use dice. These dice are the characters. These dice are these things. And, and, and that's what I've done. You know, those are kind of probably my two defaults. But certain games that I have, you know, like, like I said, I mean, I haven't played a lot of fourth edition, but you can't play that. When I played Pathfinder second edition, again, it lends itself to playing grids. You could easily play it theater of the mind, but a lot of the rules are kind of set up to play with <laughs> grids. But when I'm played that, I played it basically as a dungeon crawler with map tiles anyway. So I'm playing it. I'm leaning into the, the fact I want it to be a grid. What about you then? You know, I, uh, I remember playing first edition D&D and AD&D and I remember drawing dungeons and caverns and such on graph paper. I remember yeah. doing that, that, that from, from a DM standpoint um, and using those to describe that to, you know, to players. And I also remember way early on, and I don't think, I mean, just like, does, and, and this is not rhetorical anyone, to anyone listening, does anyone still do this? Where you have, you know, if you're going to do an old school dungeon crawl, and you you know what I'm about to go to, you have your piece of graph paper as the the DM, and someone's mapping it, and their character has you know chalk and string and stuff like that, and they're actually drawing the map on a piece of graph paper. You tell Badly. them like, here, start and start on this corner or something like. I remember doing that, but. Uh, but I never had, I mean, I, I remember I, I had some minis that I inherited from my brothers, but I never used them in game. I yeah. used them as like representatives. And I remember playing Star Frontiers and I had two a couple of boxes of minis from Star Frontiers. And you'd say, that's my character. And you just hold it up. And like, this is this thing that you had, but we didn't use it in the game. And um, yeah, my goodness. I mean, it wasn't, Wow. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I had moved out of fantasy for a long time into um, science fiction stuff, Star Frontiers, Star Trek, Star Wars, all those original versions back in, in the 80s. And then in the 90s, lots of vampire. We've talked about that. Um, and, and cyberpunk. And it wasn't until I was playing third edition and uh, my group, we, we met this other DM who moved to town. I actually met him on a forum through EN World. This was almost 20 years ago when it came out. He moved to our state from somewhere else and was looking for players. And it was just serendipitous. And he had um, these plastic things called tactiles, which were like these square interlocking tiles. Like they look like puzzle pieces. And um and he would always draw stuff out with dry erase or wet erase. 
and uh, and used minis. And that was really the first time that I regularly used minis in encounters. And then Pathfinder, we did fourth edition spot on for my dalliance with that. And uh, and I think since then, the vast majority of people that I've played with any form of D&D, I think the default expectation now is that you've got a physical representation and that in most cases, that physical representation involves a grid. Yeah, uh, I, find it, I find it really weird that that's how D&D has gone. Because like, it, there's nothing about that in the book. Like the book pretty much kind of says it should, you know, you can play it in a grid, but you know, theater of the mind. Um, but that seems to, you know, like I said, I play with some people last year and that's literally, they were like, well, we all know how you need to have our own models. And this was online as well. We had yep. the DM was videoing his, we had like putting characters on a map and putting a camera above it and showing us where our characters were. But we weren't there because this was still during lockdown. And I was like, this is, <coughs> this is but, I mean, it was partly like, I think you bought a 3D printer and he wants to have cool models. But it was, it was a bit like, we don't, we don't need to do this. I mean, you know I've done what, it. I, I, I think that, I mean, I, maybe, maybe it's a combination of things, you know, maybe the, the, the cost of 3d printing to the individual, uh, the quality of pre-painted miniatures that mm -hmm. are hyper detailed has gone way through, I mean, it's gone through the ceiling. Uh, so, you know, the, and, and also that, um, that completionist and uh, and uh -huh. small purchase yeah. impulse that seems to be so prevalent among gamers. Like, you know, you and I joke about people buying all these dice. But I mean, when you open up the monster manual for, for 5e and you can go buy a mini that looks pretty much exactly what's on, what looks like exactly what's on the page, that's pretty cool. And so the, the I think the quality of table minis has gone up so much and the therefore the ability for someone who has either no crafting ability nor nor or a desire to develop crafting skill can have a pretty darn cool looking dungeon i mean i remember playing it at a convention and <clears throat> the dude had all those uh uh what is it dwarven forge all right yeah those cool. tiles and he had uh he had a little mist maker so there was like <laughs> fog flowing. It was really cool. You know, and he had LED lights and glowing lava and, you know, the, the level of just neat. It's just cool. I think that there's yeah. that dimension that feeds or, or, or plays into the experience at the table that drives people to want to use more minis. But also, I mean, it makes it a lot easier when, when the range of the spell is 60 feet. That's 12 squares. Yeah, there's no argument. There's no debate. If you put a pillar in the way, well, that provides cover. You know, it, it, it for 5e, obviously, it, it meshes so cleanly and easily with the rules. I, I get it, you know. And then, again, the neat factor of this stuff that actually looks good. It's yeah. not like this blob of pewter that kind of looks like you painted I think, like it. I said, the, the, the fact that now it's easier to get. I mean, one of the times I started using grids more is when Pathfinder released their, um, their Pathfinder pawns range. So mm. then I could buy like, you know, a box and it had the entire Pathfinder yep. beast in it. And I could buy another box and it has all of the different NPCs because then it's quite cool to go, okay, here's a, and then I even like found a website that basically lets you put, turn your own art into your own pawns. Yep. And so then it's much easier to go, right, well, now we can actually use stuff because I think that's one of the things is that before that kind of thing, well, I, I have miniatures, but they're miniatures for, you know, like the army range miniatures. There's like 20 orcs and they all look like, but you can't, you know, they're not, wouldn't work. I don't have lots of, like you said, monsters. We didn't have models for monsters because they would have been crazy expensive. So 3D printing, I guess, has made that that's a lot easier and so cooler to do. And like I said before that, the pawns was the first time I really went, well, actually, I'm going to start using more miniatures because before that, I was quite happy to just go, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just do it in my head. And if I need to, I will draw a map. But also a lot of games, I mean, even games that maybe looking back at them probably would have worked better on a grid, just never crossed because I hadn't done it. I didn't have right. things to represent it. And if I'm going to want to use minis, I really want the minis to match the thing that they have. But, you know, I didn't have Star Wars minis and I didn't have D&D style minis and I didn't have it. So I didn't, because I didn't have the correct minis, I didn't, I didn't do it. I think it, for me, it's, I would rather use something that, that really evokes it or doesn't evoke it at all. Like give me some dice, as you said. Uh, I remember using bottle caps. Uh, many, many years ago, like beer bottle caps were, were monsters, you know, like, don't, uh, so I would rather have something that's spot on 
or is way off so that there's no there's no distraction. I yeah. think that obviously there are some significant advantages to using, and I'll just say categorically like physical representation. And physical representation could be cheapy stuff like dice or bottle caps or just something like shabbily drawn on a piece of paper or something really high speed like like minis. There are obviously clear advantages to that. What do you see as any disadvantages to using different kinds of physical representations instead of theater of the mind? So I've got, I mean, I've got, there's two main ones. One, actually, I would say that I remember when I started using Pathfinder stuff a lot, that actually the game did not go. The actual, in, once you started the combat, the combat might be quicker because you could see where everything was and you could tell everything was in range. But actually there's some things that they'll be slowed down. So actually physically moving the model and counting the squares out and all kind of, I'm going to have to, that can be slower than just go, okay, I moved to within such and such a range of this guy and shoot him. Um, but also then prepping before that would be, oh, I need to make sure I can't have a goblin. Where's my goblin? I've only got three. I need five. I know I need this monster and flicking through all my monsters because it was all organized. Actually, that kind of slowed things down that prepping yeah. an encounter, unless I deliberately beforehand took out all the things. So that would be slower. Um, and the other thing was, is that obviously because you play it on a flat 2D plane, it makes everything seem a bit dull. Every single fight that ever happens in these kind of games is a flat plane. There is no verticality. There's nothing. I mean, actually, I do have stuff to get around it, but I used it for a miniatures fighting game where I could actually build things. But I never really used that for, I know it's not, with one exception, I didn't use that for role-playing games because building these maps out took ages. I would spend like an hour building a map to then play miniatures on it to do that for a role playing thing like that you know i couldn't do that for every encounter there was one exception where i literally built a town and we did an encounter through through a town but that was again that was me and brian just playing because we didn't have another player and we went right well we're just going to go through this town and there'll be baddies there um but yeah you lose the anything fancy or exciting you, know, you lose the verticality you lose the different you know the the, the properly the different stuff there's no people aren't going to be swinging on ropes and hanging off chandeliers because you can't draw those on the map necessarily so um those are two big i think actually big downsides to playing with minis. yeah i i agree i think that if you if you let's call it like a cheap representation just like scratching some drawing something on a map or using really simple abstract representations that can make it a little bit easier but um but yeah you you definitely can slow things down at a table by having all these things and then asking people to manipulate them <clears throat> excuse me and the other side to it is you know the verticality that's a challenge too i mean i've i've tried to make or not i've tried i have i mean they they have they have worked to varying degrees and have satisfied me to varying degrees but i've i've built uh i've made things that can sit under scenery or under um under things like if i've got a uh, i've got some of these neoprene map thingies that look like grasslands or wastelands or whatever and so i've got pieces of styrofoam that i've cut to put under then i can stack to give it you know to make hills or things like that and i've yeah. made little hills and junk like that out of xps foam and painted them and put them out um to provide a little bit of verticality and and to maybe put the players in a position where if they put their mini or their representation in such a place and i say okay well there's some trees there get down there and look can you actually see well no i can't okay well then that other that that npc has cover or concealment or whatever but again that neat factor has a price and the price is it slows things down at the table yeah. the other challenge you, you you hit i agree completely it's like what do you do and if some of you have uh who are listening have a suggestion i'm going to give we, we have an email for the show now which i'll provide at the end let us know please if you have a solution for this what do you do when you have like the cool set piece battle say for example that's going to happen in in a given session do you set it up and then everybody sees it and that kind of ruins a bit of the surprise you know do you cover it and like woo like you know pull the thing off like def leopard on the hysteria tour and all of a sudden woo the, the 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 big i saw them a couple of times and the curtain would like disappear and all of a sudden the band would be there like do you do that um what if in one like my sessions are usually about three and a half hours three three and a half hours of how long we play uh, when we get together each week and so what if there are going to be potentially two set piece 
Yeah. Like, how do I do that? Do I take 10 minutes and, you know, pull? How do you handle the physical setup? Now, I've addressed that to a certain extent because the gaming table that I built has a like a three foot by four foot removable uh, centerpiece like cover. And then it has about a four inch deep recessed area. So I could set up something on top and then lift that piece off and have something beneath it, albeit only with a couple inches of, of, of height available. Um, you know, my other problem too, right? It, it was right around the beginning of all this COVID silliness. Um, I bought one of those Proxon foam cutters, <laughs> you know, those hot wire cutter things. Yeah. Like, why? Anyway, well, cause on. I like making, st- I, I, okay. I decided I wanted to, to make stuff and paint it just that, just for the standpoint of like, I don't know, feeding a creative urge. And I've built all kinds of scenery and little buildings and junk like that. But I see people building these incredibly detailed, they're amazing, like incredibly detailed sets. And then I ask myself, like, do I want to sink that time, effort, and money into a tavern that I'm going to use once? Well, you might use a tavern, but yeah, if it's a big set piece for the end of a campaign and it gets used once, what was the point? Like, they only went to Helm's Deep once. That was worth it, though. It was totally worth it. <laughs> but, they built that in real life. But, but, but you get my point. It's yes. like, so that's, that's another piece that I struggle over. And I think, you know, Paizo did a fine job with the pawns. But, um, but the more 3D stuff you have, and it's, I don't have a 3D printer. I'm not buying one yeah. um, because I don't have enough 3D space to store all the 3D stuff. I'm sure that I would end up printing. Uh, but yeah, this, so, so definitely there are advantages. And there are disadvantages to trying to represent the stuff physically at the table. Obviously, theater of mind has the drawback of you could confuse people or, you know, worse, worse, people argue, yeah. you know, or just oh, get I confused. said I was here and I said I was there and I right. thought, you know. Right, right. Um, and that's dealing with, I think, you know, the, the, the norm in the vast majority of games. In fact, I, I, they're only a handful of games that I know of that don't use concrete measurements. Yeah. And we'll get to there is a, so I'll, I'll come to the solution yours, but I'll get yeah. there on a circular route. One of the things that was handy, obviously is a lot of games have moved online. Now people were moving online anyway. I moved, had to move online because of COVID. And actually one of the things I found handy then, if you can find them is is that you can, you know, you can use maps. So suddenly you're playing online and okay, it's a pain trying to have the rules. And like for a player, it's, you know, you've got to have the rules, uh, well, maybe your rules, your character sheet, a dice roller, and then you need to have a map on the screen. But actually then it means that you can have lots of different kinds of maps and you, they can all be illustrated. So obviously, like, again, if we talk about Pezo, they do provide, you know, battle maps, but it would cost you a fortune to buy all the different battle maps. Um, but you can just go online. I mean, there's a really good Reddit group, which is literally just, like you know, role-playing game maps, and it's just people yep. just knocking up their own maps, um, and that was great to find things in there and just go. All right, well, for the, I'm going to do a couple of D and D sessions or whatever, or some sci-fi ones. Right, here's a map. Bam, drop the map on the screen. Um, the problem we found is that you have to have software that everyone can run, and I think like Scott's PC was so bad he couldn't run things like you know Roll Twenty or or any of the other. Nothing worked. He couldn't basically run any kind of decent software. So we ended up just using like google's version of powerpoint just using slides and i would just drop a, an image in it and then we would just move around like you said we would i mean i would make little tokens for characters but in the end we just end up moving like circles around it. it's like you said it doesn't matter as long as it's representative of the bad guy sometimes we put images in there but that was actually really cool to have like you know it, the background is always really characterful and you can see what everything's there and where everything is um and actually there are there is a, a semi-expensive way of doing that and i've seen people do it where you basically just get a tv big flat screen tv yep put it on your table and that's your <laughs> table is a flat screen tv plug that into a computer the computer puts a map on it and there you go so it's one of those things that i look now at my room and go i've got space to do that if i wanted to do i really want to spend the money on a tv which i'm only going to use as a battle map no and pretty sure mika would kill me um so, yeah, you know, I uh, when I made my table um, last year, I I got caught up in the idea, like the romance of, of having a screen there. And then I had this moment where I thought, wait a minute, I don't use a VTT. I don't know how to use it. I have no interest in you. <laughs> that would be stupid. 
I'm not going to do that, that I'm not going to do that. And I didn't, and I'm fine with it. Um, yeah. And so there, there's my piece on virtual tabletops. I think it's outstanding. It was handy when we had no other way of doing it sure. and there were some benefits to it, but it didn't, it didn't feel the same, but certainly yeah. maps was one place where it was really good. Instead of having to kind of sketch out a thing, it'd be like, there's a picture of the map. There's this chunk of the map. There's this next chunk of the map. That was, that was really useful and be able to just have, you know, take screenshots of things and, and throw in images like that. That was useful. Um, it's where I wish I had a, like a, a lap cause I have a desktop PC, which is fine. But the minute I want to do role playing stuff, I can't move the desktop. So it's when I wish I like had a laptop or some clever way of projecting things onto a screen. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's one thing I'd like to be able to like, you know, cause you could put actual miniature. If you put a layer of like perspex on top of the TV, then right. you can't scratch the TV. So you're underneath, you can have the TV showing whatever you want. And if that wants to be your battle map, you can just put figures, like real figures it, on top of it. That's but. what I had thought about. And then I thought, I'm never going to do that. Well, also, is, is it worth it? You're paying, I'm, you know, however much you're paying to have a TV and then to make sure you mount well, it properly. To... I mean, it, it was it was one of those moments where I, I had to be honest with myself. What what could I do? What will I do? And the yeah. gap between those was considerable. So I said, but um, so let, let's do let's <coughs> excuse me. Let's talk about how two die 20 handles space and range and what are the implications for this issue of physical representation or theater of the mind because it's one thing that is completely consistent in fact to my knowledge there's only one of the it's only dune that adds ripples into this this piece of the rules that's yeah. by adding different definitions like conceptual zones um but let's talk about zones because i I find them fascinating, and the more I think about them, the more fascinating I, I I find them, especially as a as a GM. Do you want to know where I first saw zones that I can remember anyway? Do it. Fate was the first place, to my knowledge, that I came across zones. That's okay, probably, it could have been somewhere. That's the first place I remember thinking, huh? That rather than having just no. You know, rather than it all being like you said, always done in measurements. When I go, all games were done in measurements. You had ranges. You would always have, you know, your your short, medium, and long range on the weapons, and all of this kind of stuff. And whether it was re, you know, real world measurements or like your savage worlds, where it was meant to be done on a tabletop in inches or whatever. Yeah. Every game had it. Fate was the first one I remember where they had, yeah, we're not doing that. You, you've got zones, and this is how you can move a zone. And and then I'm pretty sure Star Wars and the now Genesis, pretty sure that uses zones as well um which is therefore not surprising that 220 yeah. uses zones so i mean zones is a nice idea where zones are problematic i always find is that like how big is a zone and right. that's where you have an issue so if and also you kind of got the weird thing like so if you think the example we had the other day where we did this the star trek fight so we said like oh the ship's a zone and let's say like and if everything around the ship was a zone then that means you could walk from sort of one end of the, the clearing to the other end of the clearing right and that was kind of free but if you walk from that zone out of the zone then that's like a whole movement action so you get zo zones can be weird so i think in some sense zones work well when you've got like a map that you can break the map up into zones yep Okay, if I'm thinking, just because it's one that popped in my head, the, the classic, um, the, the shadow run food fight thing where it's, you know, they're in a, what you'd call, like, I know, a deli or something, you know, like a, a little 7-Eleven type shop. And there's a Up fight that happens in there. Everything's being blown up everywhere. And, you know, you think, oh, I blow that, I put that into zones. All right, well, you've got like the back of the shop and the front of the shop and nearest the door and away from the door. And maybe, you know, there's a like a storage <laughs> room out the back. And then you'd split the inside of the, like the middle of that into maybe like two more. And you can see how you'd split it into zones, you know, maybe like a zone would have two separate aisles in it or however you're splitting it. Um, but at the same time, the zone could be the entire store could be one zone. So that's, those are the times when actually zones probably lend themselves to the kind of middle way we said, where rather than having not, not just fully theater of the mind and not going to grid, just kind of having, right, you put a map down and go, that this these are the zones you know you've pre-done it and it, it shows the building or it shows the clearing or whatever the encounter is you know whether you've got something off the internet or you just doodle it yourself and you can very easily go here's a zone here's a zone here's a zone you start here 
And then you don't need to move things around that zone. You can picture it in your mind from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually relatively straightforward. But uh, yeah, I think zones are very much lend themselves to that kind of middle way where going fully theater to the mind can be problematic because which zone am I in? How far do I have to move to get to the bad right. guy? Having a map for that starting things. So certainly I, I, I can picture things like Infinity and Conan where there's a lot of combat and almost always the start of the combat is here's where we are. And then after that, I don't bother, you know, we might move some dice around in the map, but it's not, I'm not using grids. It's not super important. It's that initial, this is what the encounter looks like, go. Um, Which is handy because then you know where there's walls and you know where there's things that you can destroy and and, and so on. Um, I, I think that I like that sort of middle way personally. I have a, this foggy notion of having been aware of this way, this approach to handling space and distance, um, but I don't remember where, I don't remember what other systems that I've played uh, that, that use it. But I remember when getting into this and thinking, okay, so, so how big is a zone? And I know that explicitly, like I'm looking at the Conan PDF right now, it says zones are of no fixed size. They can also be varied to accommodate other factors in the scene. And I think that phrase, other factors in the scene, is essential to getting your head around what are these things. Because close is the character's current zone, and moving within that is a free action. And so I think understanding these requires an understanding of you've got free actions, minor actions, and then um, standard actions. And there isn't a specific, like hard and fast time that's assigned to like a minor action takes this amount of time. A standard action takes this amount of time. And there's kind of fuzzy sense of it. But the idea, and this is how I've described it to people, you know, the idea of close range. Okay. What would be a size and or arrangement of a space in which you could move in freely and it wouldn't get in the way of you doing anything else over a period of a couple of seconds. Yeah. So like uh, the room in which I am right now clearly is a zone. And the room that I'm in right now is about, I don't know, 17 by 20 something feet or whatever. And then it feeds into another room around a corner. Maybe if the room was a little bit bigger, it would still be one zone. Yeah. um, Because there's nothing in the way of me moving around in here. Now, I remember when we moved into this house and we painted this room, we took all the furniture and we put it in the middle of the room so that all the walls were completely free and we painted them. Well, it's still the same size room, but I would argue in that case that there were at least two zones. Yeah, makes sense. Because of this block of stuff that was heaped up in the middle. And so I I think if you're new to the system or you're trying to explain to people who, I think naturally we say, well, how far is that away? Well, it's 50 feet. Okay. Or 10 meters or whatever. That's natural to us. But if you're trying to help people understand this, it's it's space and it's distance, which has to take into account the features that are there. You know, something that I read, actually, John Carter is turning into a goldmine of explanation of this system. It's been my bedtime reading uh, on and off here over the last week and some. John Carter makes explicit the point that, you know, verticality has to be taken into account. You could be 10 feet from someone, but because you're 10 feet above them, it dramatically changes their relationship to you in terms of getting to you. Yeah. So like, for example, you know, moving to medium range is a minor action. Well, someone could be eight or 10 feet above you standing on top of a wall and that's medium range because of the effort it's going to take you to get to them. Yeah. I just think that's that's a that's a fascinating way to look at again distance and space. Because the space could be empty or the space could have a trench in it or it could have be a warehouse with a bunch of junk heaped up in it and it dramatically changes if the junk's not there. Um so that's how I've I've explained it to people and then it's it's the question of well then how do you use it? in practice, whether we're going to do like, again, theater of the mind or a physical representation. Yeah. I mean, I think mostly I don't worry too much about the, I don't think I ever, I ever have with it, you know, the things where I've used a grid because I've got a grid, I can use all of the grid rules. But before that, like I've never been one to really worry too much about, 
exactly how far things are. It's because, you know, can I shoot this thing? Can I move to this thing? Uh, you know, you always play pretty much sort of fast and loose with that kind of stuff. So zones, zones have always been kind of fine for me. It's like, oh, great. I don't have to worry about ranges so much. It's, you know, you a weapon will be, yeah, it's only close range or it's a medium range or it's a long range weapon. Well, you know, that's, that's fine. That's not something worth, worth worrying about. So yeah. um, but I, I, I think zones, if you're going to, if you're going to play zones, like sort of rules as written, drawing them out on a, <clears throat> draw them out on a map is probably a good idea um, yeah, just yeah. to make it clear where everyone is and kind of how the zones interact when i'm playing and a lot of the time 2d20 i have played theater of the mind um and in those cases like well don't worry too much about the zone you know if someone's far away then you call him long or medium range if he's if they're close by then it's close and so on don't have to worry and in that way you can kind of if you're playing theater of the mind zones are almost something which don't have to kind of sit like you know they can move they could be, you know, the zone could be essentially like if you can imagine the, the players are, I mean, there's the original, the thing that actually came before Star Wars that when they did a new version of Warhammer fantasy role-playing game, they didn't have zones, but they also didn't have individual measurements. You had counters, which you used to give the measurements between you and other people in the zone, uh, other people in the combat, which may got really complicated. Like if you move and you're like, okay, I move close to this guy, but do I move close to this guy? So it was a bit messy. And then obviously they came up with zones after that um but you kind of see what they were going for it's kind of and, and zones are kind of like you know if, in some respect you've got a personal zone well if you move technically you're still in this close zone but you are close to this guy or you know further from this guy and so in that sense you know zones don't necessarily have to be in concrete so yeah if you've got a map and you've drawn on a map that's your zones but if you're playing theater of the mind you can kind of not all that really matters is can you reach this guy and can you shoot that guy and and so on and then so then you know i basically i wouldn't worry zones same with other games, you just kind of, you, you wing it and you get a feel for it. And as long as you can picture it in the head, as long as your players are picturing the same thing that you're picturing. Yeah, I think really like, um, not long ago, I, uh, I ran one of the Conan quick starts and, in, and I, used a, um, I used minis and terrain and, uh, and I did exactly what you just said. And there's a great out in this zones-based system too when you do that because... On the one hand, people were like, well, where does this zone end and the next one begins? And that would seem to indicate that there's a hard line. Yeah. Well, remember, close range, and I'm reading directly from the Conan PDF, is defined as the character's current zone. Movement within close range is a free action. And so when a character moves from one place to another, you actually don't have to worry that much about their, um, their absolute placement uh, because their movement within their current zone is free on their turn. So when they'd say, well, okay, I'm going to move over to this little clearing so I can fight these monsters, or I'm going to move to this side of the pit where the big monster is coming out of, it's, it's less an issue of this, you know, like counting squares yeah. to get you there. It's more, okay, look, that, that's one zone away because of the distance and because of the nature of the terrain. So you used your minor action, you've now moved, um, you've moved to an adjacent zone, that's medium range. Now you can move around within the, your new zone as a free action. And so it's more, what I found, it was, it was easier to establish on this, and you could do this on a map or you could do this with terrain and minis, just, general like this is a general zone and that's a general zone and that's a general zone and the issue is how much is it going to take for you to get to that zone not where are you exactly yeah you know wh what are your grid coordinates what are your lat long coordinates which is really what um like the the 5e default asks you to do you have to determine your vector and your all that gobbledygook and then your absolute placement on the map period whereas as long as you can define the zone well enough so that you can say, yeah, that's that's generally a zone. Once you plunk a character down in it, their movement within it is 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 free action. You don't have to really worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think generally zones, zones work. Okay. I mean, you don't have to have, you know, you can still play it with miniatures and draw everything yeah. out, but you're not having yeah. to worry quite as much. Um, and if you're wanting to play theater of the mind, because they've already abstracted the range system, then it's still you know, you're not losing as much when, when you do that. So I think it's, it's like I said, I think it's, it's a good medium and it lends itself well to being able to just go, here's a, here's a cool map. 
I've drawn some zones on it and you can just run with that. And I, I think a key, you know, you and I have talked about this idea of cinematic gaming like that, mm. that it's, it's kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall as defining cinematic role playing. But I, I think that at least one of the qualifiers for it is that there has to be at the proper moments, like in action sequences, there has to be a, a up tempo at the table. Like if you get bogged down in counting squares and yeah. flipping through rule books to try to figure out like where does this effects range peter out and blah 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 that sucks the life out of cinematic role playing because it 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 kills the tempo and i found that once people have their get their heads around the idea of the zone and once again like i said when i'm using terrain or theater of the mind it's just an issue of giving people an idea as to where the boundaries are and then once you're in them you're you're able to move around um that because it's simple and it's more abstract that doesn't serve as an impediment to keeping the action going and that's a good thing like we said it already the grids have that problematic thing that the minute you the minute you put a grid on the table you're probably more playing a board game than you are playing a role-playing game now that's in the case of like when i played pathfinder recently that's literally what i was going for yeah i was like cool i can make really crazy detailed characters with all these abilities which i can't possibly do in a board game but i can play this like a board game that was exactly what i wanted um but i think if you know there's there is that aspect to me that sometimes the the, the role-playing game just becomes a detailed board game which if that's what you want to do is cool but actually yeah, cool if it's you know it will take away from sometimes like you said it can take away from the story and the and the cinematic nature of it, where theater of the mind can you know, obviously let you do things that you can't do when you're doing a grid because you just won't think of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think you hit it too, that zones lends itself to either, you know, and then it, then it becomes an issue of what's the preference for the people at the table, duh. And, and then how does everyone achieve, especially if it's theater of the mind, a shared enough understanding of like the qualifiers and identifiers so that confusion is minimized. Yeah. But I think, I think zones, it, it, it acts as that balancing point between theater of the mind. And like, like you said, there's no way you can play fourth edition and play fourth edition without a grid. You just can't. No, it won't work. Unless you have no combat and then it's fine. But then it's not D and D. I just, so. Now we didn't, one thing we didn't talk about was zones and maybe we shouldn't get into today, but zones in Dune or rather Dune introduces conceptual zones. That's what I would call them. Let's not yeah. talk about those. Yeah, we're not, we're, we're just, no. Nope. It's, it's, so, it if another 2D20 podcast. We are not going to talk, maybe we'll talk about them in the future, but we're not going to talk about them today. No, so, I'm not going to talk about them. Short of like the lead developer for June wanting to come on and do an interview with us and run us through uh, an intrigue. I don't even, I don't even know how intrigue works as a, as a thing. It feels like it's something that should happen at the same time. You're starting as other stuff. You're starting um, to start talking like about if, it. We can't if someone it. wants to come on and run us through like a dueling session where we can play the two characters dueling yeah. in June. Great. Cause I've seen people try to reply back to me and explain how it works. Uh, and I know I still don't get it. Like no. we're not, Someone's we're not going to talk about those, but, better. but we did have like an indication from the, the, from Modifius itself, not only from Modifius itself, but from Chris Birch, who's like El Jefe of, of he's the, yeah, he's the head on show. It's he's his, Modifius, he's, man. He is Modifius, man. It, it, give me the background because I didn't go in and read the, the whole thing. All right, thing. so I put, so last year we got Acting Cthulhu, Fallout, June, and the whatever we got for Homeworld because I couldn't remember what it was actually Yeah, called. the teaser what, for it. What new exciting things are we hoping to get for 2D20 in, in 2022? Yeah, classic of how popular 2D20 is. I think I had one, two, three replies, three. Uh, before Chris Birch himself popped up and said, and I quote, at least one big new 2D20 IP is being announced soon. It's in it's in-house, same universe as Acting Cthulhu and not a license, which means it's not Elder Scrolls. So no. eh, sad face. Um, but yeah. I, that's interesting because I do they it. have any in-house settings? Acting Cthulhu, that's it. 
That's right. You good point. Duh. Um, Which is, this is the bit I'm confused. So because it, if it just said a new in-house, there could be anything, but it says same universe that but kind of to me like so wait a minute. The only thing in terms of same universe, it's like right. So Act of Cthulhu is it's the real world. It's World War Two, and it pretty much follows the same thing. Yeah, but Cthulhu's real, and, and it's and hence, therefore and magic is real. So, may, is could this be their take on like a pulpy traditional nineteen twenties Cthulhu? Uh, I would feel like too many other people have covered that. That's true. So, like you know, if you want to, I mean, I mean, that's the norm. And, yeah, but if you want to go and play standard Cthulhu, I mean, you would just play Call of Cthulhu, or you'd play one of the many other versions of that. Trail so of then Cthulhu, cover, whatever, you know, they're not yeah. going to. Yeah, they're not. Unless make, you wanted to play a pulpier, higher action, more player agency, which is enabled by two die twenty rule set. Yeah, but then I still feel like there's that's not big enough to make it worth them. To, like the whole thing with acting Cthulhu is this was right. It's got, uh, wow, my, my stress ball has just like died. Wow, okay. Uh, that didn't last long. Too much uh, stress. Man. Well, I've only been using it like twice. Clearly so, too much stress. Yeah, so Hulk, Hulk got smashed. Um, sorry. Uh, I kind of feel like, if you look at acting Cthulhu, acting Cthulhu is right, they've gone right. World War Two. so yeah. Nazis, Cthulhu, put the two things together. That's what like, they've done like, with acting Cthulhu. Peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, so you can take, you can play, you can go into the Cthulhu bit, or you can go into the World War Two bit. You can do either side of that. So I kind of feel like when they say same universe, right? Well, the World War Two isn't a thing. That's the thing that's going to be changing. It, the fact that it says same universe to me says the Cthulhu bit's going to stay. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, right? Well, either you're going way further back in the past, fingers crossed, or way further into the future, which makes me think are they going to do some kind of crazy? like cyberpunk Cthulhu or even further ahead than that, you know, like sort of space travel Cthulhu. I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to go the other way purely because going, having said that, if you go too far, so too far into the future, you're just doing Mutant Chronicles or Infinity, which they've already done. But actually, if you go too far back in the past with Cthulhu, that's Conan. Because to a degree, yeah. Cthulhu is in, you know, we know about all the crossover between, with, between the two authors. So you know, really, if you go back in the past, that's so, yeah, maybe they are just doing a, a, a you know, a, a standard Victorian. How about, uh, Cthulhu, how about Cthulhu during the 30 Years' War? How would that be for esoteric? Well, that'd be random. Maybe they'll go, maybe they'll go like further back, Victorian era Cthulhu, because Cthulhu's like, is Cthulhu like in the 20s and 30s? Yeah. Normally. So they could go like, but even Gaslight Cthulhu's already yeah. a thing. So. Well, and that, that's Chaosium has has materials for that from years ago. So maybe maybe they I don't know who knows. Maybe we'll do American wild. Revolution uh, American Revolution Cthulhu yeah. Wild West Cthulhu. The Chaosium has a, has a book has some adventures set in like the which is like you know kind of Deadlands inspired by that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, I would I would hope they were doing like Act of Cthulhu generally was something different. They put two things together which people hadn't seen, and it was, you know, reasonably successful from what I've understood. Um, I would hope that they're doing something similar for this other one. But the fact that it says same universe is what makes me think it's related to Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. No, um, that, I, I think I, I would be really surprised if they said, oh, same universe through World War II. So we're just going to do something complete. Superheroes in World War II, 2 die 20. Like that, that doesn't. It would be nice if they plugged the gap. I mean, the one, the sort of my one criticism of sort of acting Cthulhu is that, like, there's not enough magic in it for it to really plug that magic gap that we have. But yeah. actually, it gave us a modern day adjacent version of, you know, the two D twenty system, which we didn't have. True, and we've got quite a lot of sci fi versions, um, and we have these sort of pulpy, like, fantasy versions. But we don't. We still don't have we. Everyone is just like, give us Elder Scrolls. I don't even care about Elder Scrolls, but it's fantasy. So yeah. you, give, you give us that and we can just do what we want with it. Uh, you know, it has dragons in it and it has fireballs and elves win. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to have to bother him and see if we can, we can milk any more out of this and then we'll, we'll see what it is and we can comment on it. I think that's... I mean, it, must be, it must be something they're going to... Well, he says being announced. It must be relatively soon because there is no way he would have dropped that little right. thing without it's going to be like july stuffing. 
yeah so it's going to be something they're going to be announcing you know within the next month and it'll be coming out in the summer um i would hope that there's more than that because at the moment kind of and actually we're getting to the point where the conan is pretty much they may actually have finally finished like all the conan books and again the infinity books yeah um and obviously the star trek stuff coming but other than that, I think, I think they mentioned at some point last year that they were going to do another book for Dishonored because I, I had criticized them somewhere for basically throwing out a book and then not backing it up. And they've said, no, we are doing another one. But that's still, com- compared to how much stuff, I mean, maybe it's all stuff that was going to come out ages ago and just got delayed because of COVID and just happened to all come out at the same time. But I'd still be surprised if we only get, you know, yeah. all we're getting this year is a few more Star Trek books mm-hmm. and and this new obviously homeworld's going to come out this year but no, we got do have 352 three, more days in this yeah. year we got a lot today. of stuff last year i mean i know yeah, i'm being do. greedy but we got so much stuff last year to get to get just like a few star trek books won't me. happen i i mean won't happen i don't think so fingers um, crossed well i think that's i i uh, yeah yeah, we'll have to, like I said, we'll have to bother and we'll have to watch and pay attention to our emails and see what we can uh, we can get out of this. But um, hey, speaking about emails, I did mention at the beginning, we do have an email uh, for the show that you can contact us through directly. I found some online email that I hadn't heard of before that uh, I figured was worth trying. If you're interested in emailing us, you can email us at fluffncrunch, that's F-L-U-F-F-N crunch at here comes the weird uh, email ending. It's I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. Tutanota.com. T-U-T-A-N-O-T-A.com. And I'll put that in uh, as a link on Anchor and in the, the show notes so that if you want to reach out to us directly and you have feedback or suggestions or ideas or insider info, we'd be more than happy to read it and actually respond to it. So, so we um, clearly do because this episode was based on a you yeah. said it was a, a reader suggestion or yeah question. no for sure i mean uh that's that's I, I i think one of our original goals in this was to you know get in contact with people connect with people who have common interests in gaming and uh or can be browbeaten into having common interests in gaming and uh and who'd want to have a conversation about it so absolutely i don't say hey here's the email and then i'm going to ignore it <laughs> all right all right. I think we're good, man. Yeah. I'm going to go cough. <laughs> <coughs> and then I cough. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.